Audio Conversation with Heather Kluwitschakowski and her husband, Bert Jansen. This was recorded on November 11th, Veterans Day, 2013. Uh, this is a husband and wife team. They do research into uh, crop circles as well as the ancient sacred sites um, in, southern, in the southern UK. Uh, now, I wanted to talk to them, and I've been, I've been uh, trying to get them on the show for a while, specifically because of an event that involved a white owl. Now, turning the clock back, um, I guess a couple years ago now, and I heard an audio interview with Bert. He was on Whitley Strieber's Dreamland program, the audio podcast series that Whitley does on his site. And Bert was talking about an event. Uh, he was, you know, he was during the interview. He would say things like, "Oh, and I had this incredible experience with a white owl recently, and it was very powerful." And then they would just kind of move on with the uh, with the interview, and they never followed up on that one key question. I was always very curious um, about what the owl experience might have been. Uh, sometime after that, I stumbled on, and I'm not actually sure how I found it. I might have been Googling something like owl slash mystical stories. Um, and, as, and I found a written essay by this woman, Heather. Uh, it took me a little while to realize that this was the same story that Bert was talking about uh, on that uh, Dreamland episode. Uh, and I, I realized that Heather was the wife of Bert, and they together had this experience in May of 2011. Uh, this experience is surprisingly complex. I think the story is about 12 pages long, the way it's written out. And um, like any good, I'm almost going to say like any good dream, uh, I wanted to say like any good synchronicity, but like any good dream, this story has a sort of a misty logic to it. And to tell it correctly would require some time. So I, I brought them on the show specifically to talk about this white owl event that took place in May of 2011. Um, during the interview, we will uh, we'll focus on that story, and then as the interview progresses, we'll kind of uh, we'll go a little bit uh, astray from that. and And it was really wonderful to see where this led. Now, I've said this before; it's hard to actually do. I prefer stories over speculation. I think it's I think a story has a lot of power. And I think speculation is can sometimes. I mean, you have to do it, right? You have to speculate a little bit, but doing it unnecessarily is sort of like spinning your wheels in the mud. Um, the story can speak for itself. Um, afterwards, we do speculate about the implications of this white owl experience, and um, and then both Bert and I and Heather uh, share a bunch more stories uh, that are you know, related in tone or related directly to this, to the May uh, 2011 White Owl story. This interview runs just a little bit shy of two hours, about an hour and 45 minutes. Please enjoy. Hey, Bert and Heather, thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. You're welcome, and I'm very happy to be on the show. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here with both of you. Good. I've spoken to Heather at length, and I've also read her uh, report of something that took place in May of 2011. And uh, she referred to that as the White Owl event. And I found that I was extremely intrigued about that event. And so for this conversation, I would love to explore 
that just as if it was a it was a spider's web and the threads i suspect would stretch out in all kinds of directions to all kinds of places so in our time together i would like to explore that but just for now bert if you could and i'll have you both do this if you could just give yourself a quick introduction and just uh you know in uh, give a heads up to our listeners you know what you do and and how you came to this subject um i'm my name is bert jansen i'm from holland and in 1994, I had a really um, intriguing ex- uh, experience with um, uh, a crop circle in Holland. And that took me to England in 1995. So in 1995, I came for the first time to this magical landscape. And in 1997, we can catch to this later on again. In 1997, I had my first experience with a ball of light and a white owl at the same time. So that actually let me to understand that these white owls that have popped up in my life numerous times that I always have to pay attention when it happens. And in 2011, it really, um, no, we cut to that, what happened in 2011. But so for 20 years, I'm following this strange phenomenon of crop circles that is connected to balls of light that has, of course, all kinds of UFO aspects to it. And I'm still very much intrigued by it. Excellent. Excellent. And Heather, what brought you to this? I met Bert in 2004, and at that time, I was living in Sedona, Arizona, where I'm still residing um, and involved in shamanism. I was a teacher at the Four Winds School, the Healing the Light Body School, Alberto Viola School. So I was very immersed in the shamanic arts and the techniques and my private practice here in Sedona and teaching in the school. And I went to a conference in Tempe, Arizona, and Bert was a lecturer at the conference, which is very interesting um, how we met and why we were even sitting next to each other in the speaker's rows. Um right before Barrett was speaking, since I was not a speaker. And there's a whole story that goes um, with that that doesn't involve a white owl, but involves something else that's quite phenomenal on the planet today. But over the course of that day, um, I did not see him speak. I saw him three more times, and we just ended up finally after the third or fourth time saying, okay, now I want to know who you are. And we began an eight-month conversation. This was in November of 2004. And in March of 2005, I made a commitment to go to the crop circles. Um, so in 2005, I met Barrett at the crop circles in England, and that started me on the road of all the magic and the mystery and the um, places in England where the veil is very thin between the worlds. And one of those experiences, um, a place where the veil is very thin between the worlds, happened in May of 2011 with a white owl. So I think that's my Reader's Digest version <laughs> of so, bringing me up to Good, date. good. So, so the, the conference, it was in November of 2007 in Tempe, Arizona. It was 2004. Oh, 2004. Okay, so I right. met um, I met Bert uh, at uh, the conference in Tempe, Arizona very briefly. We spoke uh, – just a little bit. I shared one story. I, I don't have. I only have been to one crop circle in my life, and it has a odd synchronicity connected to it. So, uh, you and I spoke uh, very briefly. I might. I might uh, refill you in on that 
uh, before this conversation is over because it is it is interesting. So wow. what year was that? That would have been uh, the the actual crop circle uh, that was formed on August tenth, two thousand and two, and then then they I met Bert at the. Uh, Chet Snow's conference in Tempe right. in November of 2007. That was the very first uh, okay. conference I, was I there went as to. Well. Oh, yeah. so we've all been in the same room together. Yeah, there you go. Yes. we were actually yes. doing a workshop together during that huh. um, during that conference. That's I was yeah. uh, that. So just for me personally, I was um, at that chapter. I was very. Ooh, like that was just at the very dawn of my coming to terms with the fact that I've had these uh, events take place in my life. I had been very capable of denying them. So if you met me then, you would have said, gee, that guy is really tense. He seems really nervous. I don't know what's up with him. Um, because I would have, it was this, it was, uh, it was, it was quite overwhelming for me at that point. Uh, I, for, I just, I think I've just got bored with being overwhelmed. And now I feel like I'm a little more at peace with the, with what may or may not be happening. So small world. Yes, very interesting. So the um so you did a tour together. You hosted a tour and this tour was not specifically focused on crop circles. Instead it was more focused on the sacred sites and the um ancient uh, history of the uh area in southern England. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we we um have come to the insight that the landscape itself, Wiltshire itself, is so magical. There's so much going on that sometimes you lose sight of that when you go there, when the crop circles are there. The crop circles take up so much of your your energy and uh, attention that you lose actually track of all the things that happen around the crop circles. So we decided to organize tours in May. So it's warm enough in England because it can be pretty cold there. And there are still no crop circles there on great purpose just to experience all the other strangeness that's going on there. And that was also going on in 2011. That was one of these May tours that we organized. Okay. And, and, uh, and what happened? What happened? Do you want to say something <laughs> about it, Heather? Um, right. In the Reader's Digest version. So these oh, we are, can we can go a little further beyond the Reader's Digest yeah. version. I think we have time for that. So these are seven day uh, or seven night, eight day tours, um, and it's we go through sacred sites and and cathedrals and uh, Glastonbury, the Isle of Avalon, and things like that. And and basically, what we're hoping to do or to be is to hold sacred space to be able to facilitate an opening for each of our participants, knowing that um, we've named our tour appropriately. We call it the Dragon Path Expedition. And the Dragon Path is the basically, um, I know, Mike, you're familiar with, I'm not sure if your listeners will be, but the ley lines, the Michael and Mary ley lines, that wind themselves through England, the average of that line is called the Michael alignment or the dragon path. So all through the areas of crop circles, you're interacting with either either the Michael ley line or the Mary ley line or this average line called the dragon path or the Michael alignment. So we're wanting to bring people to sacred sites and to the cathedrals that were built by the Knights Templars and, and the, the ancient, um, with the ancient Mason information or blueprint encoded into them to use all of that as a mirror 
to be able to get a really good look at your authentic self. And during the week, we we have shamanic exercises and group discussions, and we, we use really different, unique tools to bring our participants to a place where they can really start asking some deeper questions about their life. So if you were to put it in the context a few thousand years ago, it would be like Parsifal on the Grail Quest, and that's what the Dragon Path Expedition is about. And things always happen on the expedition that far exceed our expectations or anything that we could ever imagine of. So 2011 was one of those years. We had a very, very special group of people, um, several people from Belgium, um, and then the rest were from Holland, if I remember that correctly. Baird, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So we had Leva and Vim and... Um, I think several other people from and Dion and um, her gang with her. And in that group, we had also some very interesting talents. We had some biologists and doctors and um, a judge and psychologists. So we had some really lively energy all together. And they were there definitely to be a part of this Grail Quest, this Dragon Path Expedition, but they really, really wanted to see a crop circle as well. And we kept saying, no, 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 this isn't that kind of tour. Even if there was one, you know, we, we don't know if we would go because we're very familiar that when you start circle chasing all the time schedules, everything just go completely awry. And so we were, we're trying to put them off. And then on the second day of the tour, which was May the 14th, Barrett and I were at dinner in Devices, and which is near the Oliver's Castle um, that Maria Wheatley had her White Owl experience at. And we finally said, okay, let's come up with the list of if we're going to go to a crop circle, if one occurs, what has to happen? And that was the beginning of our White Owl experience as we left that restaurant, we had several different things happen that basically put us in a particular situation on a particular dirt road to see a particular event. And Barrett, that's your lead-in. <laughs> that's my lead-in. Um, okay, let me add something to this. This Because I am so known in Holland for crop circles, they, of course, pushed me the whole time to, if something would happen... To go there. So the, the the conditions we came up with were as follows. I, I told him, said, first of all, if it does happen, we will go there only when it's really close by. It can, we cannot have it that it's far away because we have no time for that. And it um, also has to be that we do not have to cross the street to get to it. Now, that sounds really ridiculous, but when you have been to England where they drive on the left-hand side, then you really know... Really fast. They drive really fast, and you always look into the wrong direction because you're in an altered state. You're not really paying attention anymore. And I have seen so many near accidents that that's scary. So that was one of the conditions. And we had also this condition that um, that it should be able to park next to the field. Now, if you've ever been to England, you know that's 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 nearly impossible that you find a field where you can park next to the field. And the last condition was the farmer has to give permission. Now, I can tell you, even in 
top Croxical years, you will never meet all four conditions. So we thought we are totally safe. We, we have given out these conditions. It will never happen. This cannot happen. And that we all had decided in the restaurant, and we were very happy. We are driving back to our B&B. We are not staying in the hotel with the group. We are driving back to our B&B. And we had just left the restaurant when the first strange thing happened. There were two white birds, and it could be quail, I don't know, but they were white, or strange doves, enough. Or... Doves, sitting in the middle of the road. So there I'm coming. I see these two birds. Now, usually they will fly up and just you can just drive on, but they were very persistent. They were not moving. So just before I was about to hit them, I realized they're not going to move. So I swerved around them. And I looked in my rearview mirror, and they were still sitting there. They had not moved at all. And that was the first that we thought, this is strange. This is somehow um, trying to get our attention. We have to pay really attention or something is going to happen. And, of course, it did. And Heather will tell you what. So after the two white birds, which was sort of like going through a gate when you're, if you're a racer in, in skiing, um, we ended up continuing on to the road near from devices towards the East field. So we were right by the milk Hill, very famous white horse of milk Hill. And as we were driving on that road, thinking about these white birds, just thinking, what was the message? Cause when you're there, it's you're, you really are in this place because the veil is so thin between the worlds that it's difficult to catch all of your visions and thoughts and the things that happen. And that's why we're so good at, you know, trying to find the, the, the flashlights in the middle of the night and write things down or as soon as we can write things down because you'll forget them maybe forever, maybe for years, maybe till you go home from crop circles, but it's a very strange area like that. You're in this very interesting altered state. Oh, let me just so, interrupt. So, so this, it, I did write this down on the piece of paper. I mean, you said it, uh, you said you went through a gate, those two birds. Ex- we went through a gate. Yeah. And it always felt that way. And I even said at the time, gosh, that was like, you know, we were on, some skis and and you know the you see them go through the those gates as they're racing and they're way over on the side of their skis that's what the car was doing Barrett was driving thank god (laughs) and the car was like do having to do this sort of s pattern on this road thank god there was nobody else on it so we went through this gate and we're trying to figure out what does that mean what does that mean um And also it's late and we're thinking, you know, we have to get up early the next morning um, with a group. So we need to really be moving on home. And we make this decision. Let's just check out the tires, this place we call the tires at the East Field, um, which looks over this very famous crop circle field. And we're driving parallel to the white horse at Milk Hill. And all of a sudden, Barrett out of the corner of his eye says, oh my God, there's a white owl flying parallel with us right there at the side of the road. And if you've ever been to England, the crop basically comes up to the side of the road. So, um, you know, they're not big on curbs or turnout lanes or um, anything like that. There's the road and then there's the crop field. And there is this beautiful owl just flying with us like it was guiding us in in a way. Go ahead, Barry. Oh, 
Yeah, no, I was just listening to this beautiful story. I thought that's a good story. Um, it is a good story. That's why that's yeah, why I get a hold of you. I yeah, got actually, actually hypnotized by it every moment. But so I, I I followed that owl, and then it just moved away from the road so far that I could not see it anymore. But it really made a deep impression on me. And perhaps later on, we can get back to 1997 when I, for the first time, went through an experience like this. Oh, yes, but yes. For, it's, it, we are definitely going to talk about that. I, I don't want to let that slip Yeah, by. then you know also why I paid so much attention to it. Um, but before we knew it, we were on this road. And we not really paid attention, but we had taken the wrong turn off. Just actually, we were on the way back to the... B and B, and we had planned to go to the tires to do a night watch, but somehow we were already in such an altered state that I had automatically taken the turn off, and I was on my way to the B and B. And there, just ahead of us, is this little pole at the side of the road, and a white owl, and likely the same one, sits there staring at us. So while I'm coming there. With my car, I see it already in the distance, and he all looks at us, looks at us, and I know, oh, wow, this is something that's going to happen here. So I stop the car, the owl flies up, and I see him flying in the direction of the tires. And suddenly I realize, oh, yeah, of course, we're supposed to go there, but we're on the way back to the B&B, so we should actually turn around and go to the tires because this bird is trying to tell us, go there. You have to be there. You had planned to go there, but now you have to go there and do it. So we turned around and we uh, took the right turn, the correct turn. We went to the east field and we went to the tires to do our little night watch from 10, 15, 20 minutes, just to see if something would happen in that field. It's really a magical field. It's magical to be at the, at the site of that field. And um, perhaps you want to tell what happened then, my love. So we're at the we're at the east field and we basically don't see anything. We stay there for a few minutes and we're thinking, well, what was this all about? You know, we we had this experience with the two white doves and then the white owl, and now we're at the tires where we thought the owl was sort of leading us or guiding us, and nothing was occurring. It was getting late, and again, we're checking our watch and thinking, um, you know, we have to get up early in the morning. We've got a, we've got a group here. So we think, all right, let's just go. And we leave the tires and we really are going to head back to the Knapp Hill road where we saw the owl sitting on the post just a half an hour or so earlier, 20 minutes earlier, um, and go to the B&B. We're really going to do that. So we start just retracing our steps with the car. Next thing you know, just within like two minutes, the owl is on the, the left-hand side of the car again, flying in parallel, goes over the field. It's called the South Field, which is on the other side of the road from the East Field. Oh, here, let me just uh, add this little detail. Uh, the town I grew up in is called South Field. <laughs> oh, so, that's I don't think I, I don't I'm not going to start a new religion over that one so but uh but I just did a little heads up okay here we go keep going great so if and just for for your listeners the 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 terrain in England is undulating so little teeny hills and valleys the east field is sort of in a valley and as you go to the other side of the road so if you were looking at the east field from the tires which is just a little parking lot you turned around you would look across the road to the south field and it begins to slope up 
So there's a, it begins to go up into more of a little knoll or a hill. So here we are, we're on the road, we're going by the south field, and there's the owl again. And Bear just can't stand it anymore, and he wants to know now. He just said, all right, I am going to figure out what this owl thing is about. So the next opportunity for us, the owl is still flying over the crop on the south field. We're on the actual paved road, and the owl begins to turn up. So the south field begins to start to ascend and the owl begins to turn up. Barrett says, I'm turning on the dirt road and there we call it the south field dirt road. And so he turns onto the road, he parks at the bottom, he gets out of the car and he's, he's going to chase after the owl and through the crop field. I think is what is about to happen. And he goes, are you coming? And, and I said, no, 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 I've got to write this down. So I'm like looking through the, my backpack for a flashlight and I've got my diary out and I'm just beginning to write. And I think, where is he? Cause I, I don't hear him or see him. I know he took off running up this dirt road and I look up and at the crest of the road is this gigantic cat dog big black cat dog it's hard to describe it exactly because it's a combination of both it has a tail like a cat but and 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 claws like like a cat but a head big square head like a dog black 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 shiny black animal and it's walking from the the basically the end of the crop at the south field because the, the dirt road ends it there and it's walking across the crest of the top of the hill of the dirt road and over towards a very, very famous church that we had just been to that morning called Alton Priors All Saints Church. Oh, so let me just, in, so it is, it is, you see it uh, crossing the road and it is at the crest of the hill. I mean, I'm just thinking if I was like a, like a, how do you say it? Like a movie director, that's where I would want to put it. Yes. It's on the crest of the hill and it's walking towards the direction of the Alton Prior Church, which we had been to probably 10 hours previously or 12 hours previously. And I'm not sure the time, the exact time of this event. Um, So I totally freak out because Barrett isn't always comfortable around dogs. And I'm thinking this is a really big one, whatever it is. And for me, it's completely real. I mean, it's not a two-dimensional image. It's a real 3D image. I run out of the car and I start running up the hill towards Barrett. I can see him off in the distance up the, up the, the road of the South field. And I'm running up the road and Barrett, Barrett, are you okay? Barrett, are you all right? And he's like has no idea what I'm talking about he's still looking for the white owl and I catch up to him and I'm panting I'm I'm trying to point and at the same time tell him you know big black cat dog on the hill in front of you (laughs) at the top of the hill in front of you and he's looking at me like I have you know completely lost it at this point and so I finally get my breath back and I tell him didn't you see it and I describe it to him and I describe the head and I describe the glowing eyes and, you know, just everything to him. And he's like, no, I didn't see it. And of course he was between me and the big black cat 
dog at the top of the hill. And he said, let's go find it. And so we run up there and we go to the top of the hill and no footprints or anything. We look where it would have come out of the the crop at, no disturbance of the crop on the left-hand side. We look across the fence over the grass field towards Alton Pryor's um, church, no cat, no dog, no footprints, no anything. And, and no so one. this is nighttime. What, what do you, any kind of moon or any kind of? Um, you know, I don't really think there there wasn't a lot of moon, which is why when we came up to the first little doves, the gate, we didn't see them from a distance away. Okay. Okay. So, just I was just curious, just yeah. trying to get a visual on, on what yeah. kind of light you're. There getting. was very little moon. I think there was even some overcast. You know, typical um, English summer. And, and you had um, you had uh, flashlights, obviously. I had a flashlight. Barrett did not grab his when he went out of the car. I had a flashlight, so we looked. You know, I because I was writing in my journal, so we looked. We looked everywhere. Okay. Um, and we we didn't see it. And we didn't know what to make of it. So we got back into the car and, and the white owl was also gone. Barrett never caught up with it again, anywhere on the South field. And we did what we usually do with, after all these interesting experiences in, in England, we drove home and we went to sleep (laughs) (laughs) and got up the next morning and met the group. Um, we were going to Stonehenge, so we had a very early morning Stonehenge. And we, Barrett and I, were still sort of in this, gosh, you know, what happened? And we thought, should we tell them at Stonehenge when we're waiting to get in? We thought, no, let's do it in Salisbury. We were going to the cathedral in Salisbury. Let's do it there outside the cathedral where we do this lecture. And and um, we'll share with them two things. One, here's the here's what needs to happen if we're going to see a crop circle. And two, um, about, you know, what happens when you allow yourself to really be a part of this process and let nature begin to speak to you and allow yourself to follow those clues. Because that's part of what we teach on the dragon path expedition is that it's always there. The answers are always there, but we're not very good in our culture of asking the questions. So we miss the answers. We miss the messengers. So for us, the white owl and, and what we later began to call the sin on win, um, the guardian of the other world, um, the big black uh, cat dog, <laughs> cat dog um those were messengers for us so we went to we went to salisbury and we're near the cathedral we're near this um little famous church that we always go into and barrett and i are standing on this little bench outside and we're about to share with the group what has happened and barrett you take it from there <clears throat> yeah so this, we usually don't do this. We usually um, um, don't have a little talk there in front of the church. But because of what had happened, we did this little podium thing, um, uh, I mean stage thing, standing on the stairs and talking over the group. And while we just start to talk, this one in the group says, I want to share something as well, because something happened to me last night, and I want to share that. So before we even actually could say something, um, we said, all right, just tell us what it is. And he said, look, I, I couldn't sleep last night. 
and I had bought this little booklet and I opened the booklet and I started reading and somehow this was a really intriguing story I was reading and she showed the picture that went with the story and that picture was identical to what Heather had seen that night before when we had the white owl experience and I couldn't believe my eyes and Heather as cause as well she couldn't believe her eyes as well and it turned out that the black cat dog is a creature that has been seen in Wiltshire on a regular basis it's called sin and win we had no idea that's why we call it now sin and win we had no idea what it was but it turns but you out Celtic, Celtic name Yep. Yeah, so yep. when you see it actually written out, you cannot just you cannot even pronounce it. But simply the pronunciation is sin and win. And sin and win is the guardian. It's the guardian of the other world. And so in another way, you can say that we were going through this gateway of the white uh, birds and meeting the guardian of the other world, telling us from be aware now. You're very, very close to the other world. You're actually stepping into it now. And that is exactly what we try to do with the Dragon Path Expedition. So even though you, we're not planned to have it all this way, to happen it this way, it, it's unfolded itself in this way. And I find it so fascinating because every time when we do a tour, I try to guess what's going to happen. I always, that's a little thing for me that I think, what is going to happen this time? And always something happens, and it's never what I thought. <laughs> it's always something else. It always surprises me, and I find it fascinating. The crop circles have done that, and these tours do it as well. It's always when I look back, I think, wow, I could not have come up with it myself. It's so surprising. So this was fascinating that she read that story about the black cat, dog, sin and win, more or less at the same time we were going through the experience so we have the experience at the southfield while she's in the hotel reading about it ooh, ooh, i'm and, gonna before this conversation is up i will share something even if it's i, I think i told this to uh, heather on our conversation but i want to share one detail that parallels what you're saying very closely and it involves an owl so keep keep going okay so um so this, this was all very fascinating and um we did a lot of other stuff in that week uh, but they kept nagging me about this crop circle, um, which lucky enough did not appear because that would have thrown up the whole whole thing until the very last day when we walk up to what I think is the most powerful spot of Wiltshire. It's the Long Barrow of West Kennet. It's, it's a crave, it's, but it's, it's not only a crave. It has been used for a thousand years for all kinds of ceremonies. They have put people, um, corpses in the, the crave and took them out again, put them in again, put them out again. We have no idea why they would do that, but seemingly it's traceable that they have done that for a thousand years. And I think that's one of the most powerful spots. We always keep that one for the last bit of the trip to go there. And we just, you have to walk up to it. It's actually on a hill and there's only one path that leads towards it. So you have to walk up this hill and we are walking up and it's only three hours to go. The tour is over. We have still not seen any crop circles. And I hear this voice. I hear Heather saying, hey, Bert, what's that there on the left? It's just pretty casual. I hear this voice saying this. And I look over to the left, and I'm so trained. I see this little shadow shade in the field on the left. And I know 
right away what it is. My training has taught me that it's a crop circle there. Can you see I was shocked that so we are very close to the end of the tour and suddenly we find a crop circle. Now this is strange because usually I know all the circles in the area. I'm very well informed and I know exactly what's going on. So I immediately make a few phone calls to people from the crop circle connector to ask them, said, how is this possible that there is a crop circle sitting in the field and you never told me? How can this be that I don't know about this? And the kind Mark Fussell listens to me and said, I don't know, Bert, because I have no idea what you're talking about. And it turned out that that crop circle nobody knew about. And, and what time of the day would this have been? This was in the afternoon. Okay. It's in May, so it's not really busy in the land there. But still, it's very strange that nobody knew about this crop circle. So we actually, in a way, discovered a complete, totally new crop circle, very close by. I look, I see the barns where you can park the car. Oh, it's getting really dangerous now. Um, we do not have to cross a road to get there. And so, in other words, this is actually meeting all the conditions, except one. We have to get the permission of the farmer. And I think that will never happen because we will not know who he is. We cannot find him. All kinds of things will happen. But while I look at the crop circle through my binoculars, I see a little object standing in the center of the crop circle, and I know exactly what it is. It's a money box. It's a box that the farmer puts in crop circles where he asks for donations because he has a lot of damage in the field. So it's actually what we call an honesty box with a sign saying, welcome to the crop circle. We will welcome a donation. In other words, the farmer had already discovered the crop circle and told us by means of this money box, you're welcome. I give you permission. And so there was no way around anymore. We had to go there. But in hindsight, the crew had totally created that situation. I looked at them and I thought, you really understood how this works. Because the whole week, you wanted this to happen. I did not want it. You wanted that as a group. And you totally created this reality in which this brand new crop circle pops up that meets all the conditions which I'd never seen before. I thought, that is totally fascinating. You want to add something to that, Mona? Well, there's a few interesting things going on with that. This area that we're in um, is called the feminine archetypal um, energy or the feminine aspect of a bigger complex called the Avebury complex. So the Avebury is one of the world's largest remaining standing stone ceremonial sites and then you have with that you have a place called the sanctuary and then you have a place called silbury hill and you have the west kennett long barrow and swallowhead spring three of those areas involve the feminine ley line the mary dragon line basically so the mary dragon line goes straight through the west kennett long barrow that we were walking to, as well as through the crop circle. What's fascinating about the crop circle, which, Mike, this happened, the crop circle happened four days after our Sen on Win experience. So we're now at May the 18th, or um, yeah, 
May the 18th, because when we had the dinner in devices, that was May the 14th. So four days later, this group has managed to create a reality where all the conditions are met for going into a crop circle. And the actual shape of the crop circle represents two different things throughout the whole world, not just in Celtic lore or Druidic lore or any of that. It's a spiral which represents the goddess throughout all different cultures. And this is the goddess aspect of the the sacred ceremonial area that we're in, because this is the area we're in is only where the feminine dragon line is, the Mary dragon line, this ley line. And it also represents dragon. So a spiral also represents dragon energy or life force, prana, chi, energy vortex energy so this spiral the if you i mean the reason when we went into the spiral people didn't even want to walk through it which most people automatically do with a crop circle because it was so tightly wound the the different vortexes or the different spirals coming into the center were so tightly wound and it was in this field of young barley And when barley is young, it feels like lace through your hands or like as the wings of an angel, as one of the, one of the group members said, and we all went into the crop circle and we stood in the center and no one moved. It's like we were in, I think you and I have talked about it before, Mike, it's like we were in the Holy of Holies. We were in a sacred temple no one moved nobody said anything we just sat there and looked at each other and looked at these very beautiful thin little lines this very beautiful spiral that had been created for us and that was that was a pretty incredible experience and um it was a silent meditation it was just an automatic silence meditation and we all sort of filed out just like you would out of a you know if you were doing a sacred ceremony in the great temple of giza or or you know somewhere in machu picchu and we all just sort of walked out and walked towards the cars and went to dinner and then we talked about it but it was just just this amazing span of sacredness like we were all witnessing something so much bigger than ourselves and we all knew that it was connected to sin on wind and the white owl and the other really interesting experiences that we had had on this tour i mean every day was was filled with an otherworldly experience on this tour Okay, so when I do uh, research, now most of my research is focused on the UFO stuff, um, yeah. and I've, treat, I've, I've come at this point in my life uh, to treat UFO sightings in a very similar way to the way I frame them in my own mind, to the way I ask questions about them, to the way I investigate them. I treat them the same way as um, synchronicities as well as owl sightings, and that's kind of personal for me. I mean, I, so the question I would ask of any of these things, like if you had a profound UFO sighting, I would ask the same question. So um, after this whole event, after leaving, after experiencing all this, um, you went on with your life, what changed in your lives? And I don't know if you may have heard from, from some of your uh, clients, you know, you know, they, they did, was there, 
uh, a change in in your life in any palpable way? That's that's a pretty pretty good and interesting question. Um, it's difficult to say what changed because this is not the first time that we are going through an experience like that. Actually, the the first experience I had in 1994 that already changed dramatically my life because I decided to go to England for one year, just for one year, to solve this riddle of the crop circles. I I thought I could crack that code in one year and then just move on with my life again. Um, But that didn't happen. I could not crack it. I came back again, came back again, came back again. And looking back now to 1994, that was a really a life change that happened there. Since that time, I've gone through so many strange experiences that I do not know anymore which one is actually the cause of changing my life the whole time. So this is just one experience of white owl of a whole big, big array of experiences that even later on in the year, more things happened at daytime event uh, happened that year uh, with a really strange geometry in it. And a strange geometry was actually the, the, the one, this, this one crop circle we, we just talked about. It was a simple circle with a ring, but it had perfectly encoded in it, squaring the circle. And that was totally my subject in those days. And so I cannot really say what changed in my life because of this event. There, has, there have been too many events to really pinpoint this changed because of that. And how is it for you, Heather? Well, that's a big question. Crop circles changed my life. 2005, the very first year um, that we went there, I don't know if there was a white owl experience then, but we had a, a, cre- a crop circle creation experience then where a group of us had gotten together and um, half-heartedly said, you know, we want to see this picture that Baird had taken earlier in the day at a church um, of a Knights Templar cross. And um, we said, okay, we'll just bang it over there into this uh, field across from what we call our office, which is the Black Horse Pub, where we usually meet um, at the end of the day with other croppies, other researchers. So we had a group of us there and we passed around Barrett's camera and all looked at it. And in between sips of wine, we all concentrated on this, this image being in this um, field. A few days later, it was actually um, in another field. And what was interesting about that is that was 2005. That was my first year and I was a total newbie. I didn't know anything about crappies or crop circles. I didn't really understand any of it. I hadn't been indoctrinated about what it is or what it what it isn't. I wasn't really there for the crop circles. I was there for Barrett because I wanted to be next to him. And I was fascinated by our conversations and our interactions. Um, and it just so happened he was in crop circle country that summer and he had invited me and I thought, okay, if I want to be next to him, I will be able to go to some crop circles as well. So it's my first summer and it just so happens we go to this crop circle. We're the only ones in it, um, along with two of the other people that were involved in our experiment of this um, Knights Templar cross. And I First off, it was the first crop circle I'd been in that there weren't so many people in it talking, taking pictures, you know, all kinds of stuff, micro lights flying overhead. So I sat down and I went into a meditation and I had this experience 
with what I can only call a circle maker and how this crop circle um, was made. And that changed my life. So every single event and experience continued to change my life. And what it did for me and what I think it did for some of the people in 2011, because many of those people came on our later crop circle tours, which was interesting, out of that group, I think four or five of them came on another tour with us. What it did later um, for all of us, I think, is forced us to leave the the box of normal and to really step out of the you know channel normal box and to realize that there was a lot more going on around us and that the other world whatever your perception is of that is really 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 attempting to communicate with you and that you're not alone and that you will be guided and you will um you, you there is a transformation taking place with each of us individually and those of us that are willing to have the courage and, and the strength and the dedication to ask the right question. There is a transformation taking place. And we are very, very close to having ongoing communication with this, this other world. And I really feel like that is what has happened for me with the event in 2011 and with every event in England and that that happened with several of the people on that tour as well, that it opened them up to a much, much bigger picture and they could no longer start seeing their world from what we call ordinary reality. And they started to engage with and expect things to happen in a non-ordinary reality way. Interesting. Interesting. This is very interesting. This is, I mean, I, most of my stuff is focused on what would be UFO research and, you know, so much of what you're saying fits into what I'm seeing. Uh, you know, it's hard to, you know, there's like a, there's almost like a mood or a tone that these stories have, uh, whether it be a UFO mm-hmm. event or a crop circle event, and they seem to have a similar tone. And I'm very much hearing that in what you're sharing here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can, I can, I can see your point there. Yeah. That um, so when we when we talk about the other world is for me at least it is um, it contains a lot of things that other people would say is a UFO experience. So it overlaps um, very much. So I I tend to call it the other world because um, for me this other world is here. It's 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 next to me. It's perhaps in what it could say a parallel dimension or higher dimension or lower dimension, but it's very much. Um, kind of earthbound while um, when I talk about UFOs and aliens I have always this vision this picture that it's coming from far away from beyond the moon say so we are talking a lot about the other world but I think there's lots of overlap between UFO experiences that people have and what I would call the other world so that I can see why you you hear that same tone it has a lot of similarities Yes, yes. Hey, um, Heather, in your written essay, uh, which is posted on the line, I'll put a link to that. Um, you mentioned that at one point when you, you, uh, this is, we're going to jump back to the event on the night of, of May 14th. You saw the owl on the post and you and Bert were out of the car walking towards the owl. Yeah. The owl flew off and then you, you had the sense that you were seeing 
through the owl's eyes. I would love to hear that you talk about that. I was surprised that that didn't show up in the retelling. So I was seeing through the owl's eyes that basically the where it was going. So it was heading to the tires, and I just I felt like I was seeing some of the of the different landscape marks and things, and um, and it was it was also it was clear that it was headed that direction, just you know, just from a linear point of view, um, and. I could also, I was also feeling and hearing sort of the beat of the wings. And that, that happens, that happens, I think, to everyone occasionally. It's happened to me before um, in these sort of altered state places that you, um, it's not that you're exchanging places necessarily with an animal, but you're, you're sharing their space with them. So I sort of see it as a, a sharing of space or an integration. It's it's just it's happened to me in wheelchair a few times, and it's happened to me in other altered altered state experiences as well. Ooh, so so seeing through the eyes of an owl in particular, or just having well, that kind seeing of- through the eyes of an owl or a deer um, or a, a snake or any of that. It's it's like you're sharing the same time and space with them. Uh, in in a in a very short linear period of time. Okay. Okay. I mean, if it sounds like and, that sounds like exactly what you know uh, what the shaman would experience. You know, and that's that's kind of the the cartoon image I have in my head of the shaman that they would be able to tap into that. Right. Cartoon. And it's it's not it's I I've never I've never willed it. It just I know that it happens when I'm sorta of in this otherworldly altered state. It's happened to me um when I'm running, when I'm when I've been on, you know, maybe a semi long run and I had um one one experience was interesting. I, I didn't know I was having that sort of a collapsing of time and space, which is sort of another way to describe it where everything becomes non-locale instantaneously. But I was running on a trail that was a few miles away, or I don't know, Barrett, what do you think, five miles away or so from an airport? And all of a sudden, a um, a helicopter was taking off, and I heard it as if it was right on top of me, like the the beating of the of the rotary and I thought oh whoa this is you know overwhelming and it, and it almost like interfered with my ability to run and the next thing I knew I was my attention was drawn off to the left side of the trail and I could feel myself in a deer's body and I, I was looking through the eyes of the deer and I could feel the heartbeat of the deer that was also responding to this very close up helicopter as if it was just um, hovering above us. And I just, you know, finally, I don't know what happened, but a few seconds later, I recognized that, you know, somehow space and time had collapsed here. And the helicopter wasn't above me. It was still at the airport getting ready to take off. And the I wasn't in the deer. I was actually on the trail running. <laughs> okay, yeah. So this is the the yeah. This is very interesting. And also, deer is a. I'm just. This is. I'm making some notes here. You know, deer and owls, both of them are what get uh, reported by um, UFO abductees, and those often 
turn out to be some sort of screen memory where they, they're the, you know, what would say the UFO uh, occupant would be using that, uh, that's that like almost hypnotic projection to hide their own identity. And then they would, they would be masquerading as an owl or deer. And those are the two main ones that show up. There's other things, clowns and Jesus show up too, but, um, and, uh, pardon? I've heard about it, read about these, these connections between UFO abductions and owls and, um, Perhaps it's 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 the right moment to tell about what happened in 1997. Yes, please. Yes, I'm all for actually. Um, it was my third year in in Wiltshire, and this is very fascinating. What what happens? It happened to so many people. It was the third third year, and I thought, you know what? This is my last year. I've done it now all. I've seen it three years of crop circles. It's enough. And then it always happens to everybody. Something will happen that will draw you back to next year. And what happened to me is that I saw for the first time in my life in Wiltshire an orb, a, a, a light ball, a ball of light, and not just flashing by like, you know, this was one, it was amber, and it was floating over a field, it was in the evening, it was really dark, and I saw it really for minutes. So it was floating, it would accelerate and slow down again, it would grow really big. Um, like a really big, 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 huge balloon size, and then it would shrink again, again through to the size of perhaps a handball or a grapefruit or something like that. And I watched it for minutes, floating over the field, then disappearing behind a shed. And I was sure it would reappear again because the shed was just blocking the view for a few seconds, perhaps. But it never reappeared. And I thought, that's really strange. Why did it disappear at the shed? So the next day, I went um, to that shed to have a look. And it turned out it was just a little small shed with one window with no glass anymore in it. So there was one opening that you could actually could go in and out of the shed if you were an object. And I thought, can it be that this ball of light just went through that window into the shed? So I... Um, tried to find out what was behind that window. And to my great surprise and shock, I found a nest of white owls in that shed behind that window. And I thought, this cannot be true. So the ball of light are totally connected to these white owls. And then I started looking up things on the internet and I found what you just said, that there's a connection between these white owls and UFO experiences. So for me, the white owl and the ball of lights that are seen in a wheelchair, they're somewhere interchangeable. And that's why I'm paying so much attention now when I do see a white owl. Because I'm not always sure it's a white owl. Can it be that I'm actually looking at something else? It only presents itself as a white owl to me. So I am not so much in shock then. And so I think it's only, it's, it's one big picture altogether. Oh, you are, you are, you know, writing the text of the book I'm working on, which is about owls. I'm sorry about that. No, 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 you're writing it. I mean, it's, you're doing it for me. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm thinking in my head, like, oh, I got to transcribe some of this because this is good. Um, yes, my sense is that there is a blurring. It is not an easy answer. The, is the owl, uh, you know, I almost want to get into like the dream logic of how these things proceed forward and, and how, they manifest. Yes, the owls are blurring with the UFOs, which are blurring with uh, what I refer to as um, 
there's a there's a researcher who does near death experience research, and she talks about uh, STE, spiritually transformative experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, I sense that the owl is somehow connected. I do not understand. You know, you know, I don't think there's any easy answer. You can't make a definitive statement, but there is this blurry set of questions that emerge. Yes, uh, I, what you've just said is showing up over and over and over again in this research. And I will also say that this research. Um, is arriving in my lap. You know, I don't have to go out and look for this stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, I'll send an email here and there and I'll say, hey, have you had any owl experiences? And um, and I had an event uh, just uh, a week and a half ago with uh, Maria Wheatley. And she mm-hmm. um, had a very similar story to yours. I'll tell it very quickly here. And I don't actually... I don't have it pulled up on my screen, so I'll just tell it very quickly. She and a friend, this is, I think, going back to 1992. Seven. Oh, 97. Was it seven? I, uh, I, I read what you sent me, but okay. So in the nineties, yeah. So so um, she um was with a friend. They were going to go for a walk in the woods at sunset. Uh, they they just are stepping into the woods at and Oliver's Castle. Okay, at Oliver's Castle. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. they are, mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. a path, mm-hmm. and they are just about to walk into the woods, and a white owl swoops past them, crossing the path. They both had the exact same impression. They, their impression was, we are not allowed in here. That owl put up a barrier. We can't go into the woods. So they turned around and said, let's walk up this hill instead. And they walk up in the hill. They get to the top of the hill. From the hilltop at sunset, they see just exactly what you described, an amber glowing orb. That at first they thought it was something way off in the distance, and then it kind of grows really big, and then it shrinks, and then it turns sideways, and it's no longer an orb, but a giant cigar, and then it whoosh, whoosh, uh, shrinks tiny and zooms off. Oh. And she said, hmm. like, if, if that owl hadn't have been there, they would have walked through the woods and never have seen the UFO sighting. So the owl was intimately connected with their UFO sighting to the point where you know, they would not have seen the UFO if it wasn't for the owl. And you would not have seen the owl if it wasn't for the UFO. And I'm saying UFO by an unidentified, unidentified yeah, yeah. flying object, an orb certainly qualifies. Um, so you have you have parallel experiences. Now here, yeah, I'll, to make this even stranger, let me just add one little tiny thing. Yeah. I, I had never heard of Mariah Wheatley. I heard her on a radio interview. I thought to myself when I was listening, oh, this woman's got to have an owl experience. She's got to have an owl experience. The next, I listen to it at night. I get up the next morning. I find her online. I email her. She gets right back to me and she says, oh, yeah, I've had an owl experience. She explains this experience. I did just what I did with Heather where I kind of pestered her a little bit. And I'm like, okay, now wait a minute. Where was this? And when did this happen? And this happened first. And so I, we were doing these back and forth emails. At the same time I'm doing these back and forth emails, I have a document on my desktop that a friend of mine had sent me about her UFO crop circle experience that involved an owl in the Southern England in the Wiltshire County. And, and as I'm reading it and going through it, I realize, wait a minute, Mariah Wheatley, who I've never heard of until the night before is in this document. This woman, you know, sort of wrote a diary of her Mm -hmm. experience. And one of the things she said is she um, met with Mariah Wheatley in the morning and so she, so here is, it was very striking for me. How to say this? It almost like if, if I don't get these synchronicities, if I don't get the confirmation that these synchronicities give me, I, I worry that I'm not on the right path. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like these synchronicities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. we feel the same way. 
Yeah. That's yeah. actually what we try to teach people to pay attention to that and to see where the synchronicities pop up. And they will. Once you start paying attention, they will actually show themselves more often. It's very fascinating. It's, I up. think um, Maria um, yeah. is very, very well. yeah, we know Maria really well. And um, she's had many, many, many experiences. And she lives her life basically the same way that Barrett and I do as well when we're there in, in this very dynamic uh, altered state or maybe not even altered, maybe just a greater state than we're normally in is a better way to, to say that. And the interesting thing is, is that many times we're all coming to the same sort of conclusions because we've had synchronicities from all these different avenues and people and comments and, and in, in this area of Wiltshire and sounds like in your own life as well, Mike, you start getting all these different people completely unknown to you until this one um, idea starts tracking you. You know, like it might have been at this time, Maria Wheatley or Wiltshire, England and White Owl. And before you know it, you get so many different information that sometimes I think, is it just that we're we're looked on from the other world or from, you know, whoever it is that we're a little dull and slow to catch on? (laughs) We have to get like 10 different pieces of information where we finally go, okay, I'm going to pay attention to this now. Yes, and I very much see that in myself where I feel like I, I uh, you know, less so now, but I would, you know, sort of grit my teeth and just be like, well, I got these, I'm skeptical, I have these doubts, could it be, could it, you know, a coincidence might just be a random event and that may explain some of it and I would just be in that headspace. Um, the year 2009 um, kind of flushed that out of my system because I was that year in October of that year in particular, I was hit with so many synchronicities. It was, I was almost afraid to leave the house um, because, because I, I mean, it was, it goes, it is insane how many things and a lot and so many owls. Oh my God, that year I saw so many owls and, um, and I have actually never seen a white owl. Uh, uh, I've seen a lot of brown ones and a lot of gray well, ones. These, but, are, mm. these are barn owls. But yes, we yes, call, them, barn we owls, call yeah. them white owls, but they're barn owls. Yes, and a barn owl seen from in flight and under the feathers, uh, they appear, especially yes. like in the headlight of a car, would yes. appear quite white. And they yes. do have that kind of uh, whatever, you know, uh, a toasted caramel, pale tan, little speckles right. on their back. Which right. um, So, hey, we've been going at it just a little bit over an hour. How are you holding up? Um, good. Good. Yeah. No, it's good. I want to add one thing to the experience um, of 2011, which I um, think is fascinating as well. So there we see these owls, um, which for me are really important because of my experience of 1997. And the owl leads me to the south field where I do not see sin and wind. So it's so fascinating that while the owl leads both of us there, but it's really my little thing, this white owl, I get out of the car, I run up this road, and I just hear this voice suddenly behind me, Bert, Bert, are you all right? And that shocks actually really me and it's Heather who has seen Sin and Win. So I, I find it really fascinating. It's something that we can both appease of. We were both needed for the experience. I was needed for the owl part to get us to the south field, and then Heather was needed to see Sin and Win itself, which I never saw. I think it's so fascinating how... It was some kind of working together there, and I and, and I'm just speculating. I have no idea, but but Bert, you said you have a background in um, 
You've studied uh, physics and mathematics? Uh, yeah, I, I have studied mathematics, yeah, and a really, really far, far, far away uh, history in my life. Okay, yeah. so, so, but I'm just like, there's a very masculine discipline. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And you, and then, and then Heather, coming from the sort of feminine shamanic discipline, yes. you may not have been able to see it. You may have looked yes. right at it and then seen nothing but blank space. I well, my, exactly my, in that direction, and I never saw it, and it can be what you say there, yeah. My background is also in the sciences, in applied math and physics. Um, yeah, and I worked in, you know, the sciences and industry and technology for many, many years until um, 2001, where I had a near-death experience in Sedona. So I've, I've got, I've got a strong linear mind, um, but that experience set me on the shamanic path searching, set me searching, let's just put it that way. And, um, I ended up on the shamanic path. So interesting. I had these events in my life all through my life, just, they would appear periodically show up. I could talk about them, you know, around it dinner table or I could talk them around about the campfire and just kind of, Hey, isn't this interesting? You know, a missing time, seeing UFOs. I actually at one point in 1993 saw five gray aliens in my yard. And I, and I just managed to just kind of dismiss all this away until uh, 2006 when I saw three owls with a friend, they all flew above us it was when she was talking about God being these owls appear just as soon as she's talking about God. Uh, we were camping. Uh, they flew around us for a couple of hours. We would actually, we didn't, it was a beautiful night where I live here in uh, the Northern Rockies. And so we didn't have a shelter. We just laid our sleeping bags down under the stars and these owls would, would float past us and they would float right above our eyes very quietly. And they would just blot out the stars for just a half a second. Uh, it was absolutely transcendent. The same person, her and I go camping four days later and uh, we have the exact same experience. These owls show up at sunset. Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced they're the same three owls. We're in a completely different spot. Now, that story I just told with the owls has nothing at all to do, uh, you know, with like these UFO memories. But in my, in my like timeline of my life, it has everything to do with it because it was that event, those owls on those two separate nights um, that forced me to look into my UFO experiences throughout my life. And the, the owls, in essence, changed me. Mm. They changed my life. And I used the, you know, they pushed me off the cliff, basically. And they, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and I, you know, fell into the, the abyss, in a sense, where now I'm wrestling with these very challenging questions. Um, it's these questions are very seductive. So it's hard for me to turn, turn away. Uh, so, so my direct, you know, so I had seen UFOs, I'd had missing time, I'd seen aliens in my yard. It was the owls that forced me to 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 look into myself. Fascinating. Mm. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, one one of the things that I find amazing about all these experiences, UFO, crop circles, owls, otherworldly experiences, is that um, and I think I wrote this to you in, in, uh, when we were chatting the other day, Mike, is that it's so important for us to have sacred witnesses, you know, to be able to really hear each other's stories. Because when you're not completely tuned to channel normal, um, you, you 
you begin to feel not disconnected from the world, but as, as if maybe it's you that's lost your way. Like mm. the rest Ooh. of the, the normal yeah. world is, um, you know, yeah. they're, they, they've got, they've got the secret recipe and it's you that, that has lost your way. So when we meet each other and we, and we can hear each other's experiences and hold sacred space for that, I think that is just so very important. And I really want to congratulate you and thank you for doing that for Barrett and I, and for all the other people that you have interviewed, because that is a very, very special gift that you are giving us. Oh, thank you. And that means a lot to me because I am doing this from a place of, uh, I said it when we, before we, we logged online here, I said, you know, this is selfish for me. What I am doing is selfish because I need this. I'm like, I am, I'm needy. I need to seek out these, these answers. Uh, the fact that I'm putting it online is, is in a way just forces me to be formal. You know, it forces me to, to, to complete the task, to actually post it online, to be, to formalize it. But what I'm actually doing is my own self therapy. And, uh, I have heard, back from listeners and people who read my blog and they have, uh, you know, in all, mostly the folks that I'm, I'm talking about are folks who had have had their own contact experience. That is a very blurry thing. It can mean any number of things, um, but they've had their own contact experiences. They are wrestling with their own demons in a way or their own self doubts. And, and it is my voice because I'm not shy about, you know, d- describing that this process is challenging, um, that, uh, that they get a lot back from it and they are grateful. And I, once I realized that I was like, now I recognize that like, I have a responsibility to take this very seriously mm-hmm. because it's not just me anymore. It's just not right. my own selfish needs. It's right. other people are, 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 are finding some solace in, in my, my, my wrestling with these uh, issues on this path and giving and giving them an avenue to um explore their own their their own experience that's what's so very important because you know a hundred years ago we would have all been in little white suits in a little white room and I would say that <laughs> twenty years ago we we may not have been institutionalized. But we certainly would have been shunned in a way yes. that, that is not happening now. I am, I, and I exactly. think it's, the, I think it's the internet. I, I just yes. think that the it has allowed. Uh, totally. Yeah. It's I mean, the internet and the frequency of experiences, and which are which more, are happening simultaneously. Sure. And you know? and of course the frequency of experiences are going up because we have an increasing pop world population as well. So you know you have lots of things simultaneously coming to one one point. Um, but I just, I'm going to sign off and I just want to say thank you and just, you know, reiterate that this is a great gift for us. And I'm very proud of you for the work that, that you're doing. And I understand the challenges. I know that Barrett and I go through a lot of challenges as well. We have each other to talk to. Um, and, and it's always just so, we're so grateful when we have someone else that, um, you know, doesn't try to dismiss our experiences right away. So we really, we're really grateful for that. And, and go oh, ahead. oh no, thank you so much. Yes, this is great. I may keep Bert on the on the line here just a little yeah. bit longer, and just yeah. uh, and as, as as long as we're connected, I might ask a few more questions. Y- yes. So thank you so much. All right. Take care. Bye now. Bye. So Bert, you're still here. I am still here. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, let me keep you on here for just a little bit here. Um, 
So as in the, in the realm of my own self-therapy, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. And uh, this would have been 2002. I was sitting at my desk here. I, drew, I draw for a living. I, I draw cartoons for a living. So I'm um, sitting at the desk, drawing cartoons, uh, doing it for, for work. I, I have this thought that just pops into my head. And I know, like, when a, I know how thoughts arise in my mind, right? So you have one thought, it leads to another thought, and then somehow or another you end up at the third thought. This wasn't like that. This just came, poof, out of, out of nowhere. And it was this thought that was like, we need a crop circle. That would be mm-hmm. really great. We need a crop circle here where I live. Now, I live in a very rural part of uh, Idaho, um, very isolated, very rural. Uh, and I had this thought, and I, and I thought, you know, that would be fun. Would like, you know, things need, people need that around here. And then I just kind of went about my, my day. And then the next day, uh, I bump into a friend of mine on the street. Her name is Linda. And she looks at me and said, oh, you hear about the crop circle that formed last night? And I, I was kind of like, whoa. So sure enough, there was a crop circle that formed on uh, – actually, the crop circle itself formed on the night of August 10th. Uh, I went there. Being a buddy of mine, just hopped right in the car. It was actually, it was about a 45-minute drive away, which by Western standards where I live is pretty close. And mm-hmm. um, uh, it was a 16 separate rings in a farmer's field. Uh, and it was just on this slight hill. Here we are not – we're like out in the valley floor where I live is very flat. And then mm-hmm. there's mountains around it. But um, so this crop circle was in one of the very rare places where it was tipped up just slightly so that mm-hmm. you could actually see it from the roadside. Um, and it was it was well off the main the main highway. It was on some farmer's roads uh, nearby. Now, so you have immersed yourself into this. Uh, yeah. What's your sense of what I just shared? I, I, I find that's. Let me share just how I came actually to go to England, what happened in Holland. Sure. Um, and then perhaps you can see there's some par- parallels there. So I am in those years not interested in crop circles at all. I'm interested in frontier sciences and things that are just at the edge. And crop circles were not part of that. I had a business I was running in Holland. I came back from a holiday that I had spent in Italy. There's all these newspapers waiting for me. They had piled up during the days I was gone. I go through them, and there's a photo of a crop circle that had formed not far from the town where I used to live. And the same thing happened to to me what happened to you. I thought, oh, now it's so close. Now I want to see it. I was never interested, but it was so close by that I thought, I will go there and have a look. But the paper was not saying where exactly it was. It was just indicating it's south of this village. And I thought, I, I will just find that. Um, so I drove to this village. I drove to the south side of the village. And I drove around for the whole afternoon. And I could not find it. And there comes a moment you think, okay, let's go back home. Um, let's forget about it. And let's just move on with my life. And right on that moment, I see it in a field. Like you described, I could see it sitting there and thought, yes, how is this possible? Just when I want to get up, there it is. I start my car, get out, walk into the field, and I notice that what I am seeing in the field is not what the crops or what the newspaper was talking about. This was a whole different crop circle. It looked totally different. This was much smaller and for satellite circles while the newspaper was talking about one circle had a photo even in it. And I realized I had discovered something totally new. And I thought, my girlfriend has to see this as well. So I went back to the car. I looked for the last time into the field. And there was where the shock was. 
I could not see it. I thought, that's really strange because I just, when I came by in the car, I could just see it sitting in the field. So I drove the same stretch again in the car and it was impossible to see. It was there, but it was in the hollowing of the field, not on the, on the hillside, but actually in a little hollowing. And so that experience that I found a crop circle, I had an interaction, I was drawn by it, but I could not see it. That made me actually go to England. So in a way, the crop circle nudged me on my path, not knowing that it had happened in those days. I didn't realize it. But for you, the same thing happened. You want a crop circle. It appears you go there. And actually, I'm pretty sure that you still know this, that it happened, that it has altered the path of your life. And so what happened to me is altered my path of my life. And for you, it did the same likely. So it's, it's so fascinating that these things, wherever they come from, have the ability to really nudge where you go in your life. I agree. I agree. And that, 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 uh, who, how to say it, you know, I, there's one researcher who has done, um, research into synchronicities and his mm-hmm. take on it. What he did is he went through and had his patients, he was a psychiatrist. He had his patients keep very detailed diaries. And whenever they would have a synchronicity, he would document and he, he did this for 40 years. He went through all this data. He reviewed the synchronicities. And what would happen is there would be a sense of wanting, a sense of yearning. There would be some, some pondering question mm-hmm. that would be in play. The person would have a synchronicity. After that, their lives would change. Yes. That is the pattern I have seen with synchronicities. I mean, obviously, you know, to a greater and lesser degree. And that is also the pattern I've seen with, obviously, uh, UFO sightings. What's interesting with UFO sightings, very if you ask the person, which I've, it's not 100%, it doesn't happen every time, but you, you ask the person, so what were you thinking right before you saw the UFO? And it is not uncommon for the person to say, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking I want to see a UFO. Yes, and that's fascinating. So, so these parallel, these same, so I'm treating, this may be, this is sort of a little thought exercise on my part, but I'm treating the UFOs, the synchronicities, and the owl sightings all the same way. I'm asking the same questions. Um, I'm not 100% getting, it, it doesn't fall, it's not very clean. It doesn't fall in line exactly, but it falls in line enough that it, you know, my sense is that we are dealing with a form of, I'm going to use the term magic, which just because I don't have another word to use, a form of magic that, that is manifesting itself. And the outcome is, is to change the observer somehow. Yes. So, so actually Heather was referring to it instead of we are, we are not looking at the other world. It's much more that the other world looks at us and tries to nudge us to a greater understanding. And I, I find that fascinating. This is what I try to teach and show people when they come on the tour, that these things do happen. And it happens to everybody, but you're not always aware of it because you're not paying attention to it. So all these synchronicities do happen. All these messengers, you can call it. You can call it the other world looking at us, but it does happen. And the more you pay attention to it, the more you become aware of it, the more it will start to happen. It piles up there. And, and, it, and, and that, the, that piling is where I think that that's where the, that's where the uh, you know, use that as your compass in a way it's for your journey, for your life's journey. Like that's your compass bearing. Find out where these things are piling and find it in that sense. And that, that story you shared earlier with, you know, the, um, the events in May of 2011, uh, yeah. 
you know, th- that complexity and the fact that it took an hour to tell the story, that implies a lot to me. Because if someone sees a, you know, like, oh, I was, you know, driving down the road, I saw a UFO, and then it flew away, poof, you know, that's an important story. Um, but if it doesn't have all the connecting synchronicities, if it doesn't have all that connecting, all the, all the threads that, that, that lead off in all kinds of directions, um, I, I tend to be less interested in that one because it doesn't have the same I resonant power. Yeah. yeah, but I, yeah, and it is the fact that, that it took us so long to, to tell the story, there were so many aspects to it, is, has to do, I think, with the fact that we are really paying attention and we are fairly aware. We are really paying attention to how things then tie together what you said earlier on, this big web, how all these threats come together. And other people likely uh, live their lives differently if they would have paid attention. They would have seen the threats as well. and They could have talked an hour about it. But somehow it's not in their conscious mind. It's not in their, their bucket of awareness to, to, to see that. And um, I, I find it so fascinating that you can actually shift it. So you can, that's why people have life-changing experiences on our tours. And I'm always happy when people come that I don't expect to change at all. It's especially people that have to come because their partner wants to come. They have to come along. They're not interested. (laughs) (laughs) It happens, yeah. And they they want to do all other kinds of things. And then they go through an experience that will change their life. Because in that week, they do pay attention. It's the first time in their life that they do it actually because the rest does it and they think, okay, I will pay a little bit of attention because also I'm really rude here and I don't want to be that rude. And because they do that, they open up and suddenly have an experience and their life changes. And from that moment on, they keep having these experiences. And I find that really fascinating. It's what Heather's saying. It's like the other world looks at us. It's not that we... I don't know who said it. I think it was Joe Dispenza who said it's not that we um, um, somehow manipulate the quantum field and create our own reality. It's the other way around. It's the quantum field that looks at us and then sees which reality we actually need. It's very fascinating. He turns it around. It's the other world looking at us, helping us, instead of we going and seeking for the other world. Yes, and I think that sets... I. You know, I wrestle with this. I'm in you know, my sense is the the that it's that the answers are always um, both and. You know, yes. and every time you try to say either or, you're gonna you're gonna come to a dead end. But as soon as you say both and, uh, you know, things just yeah, feel a lot, a lot more expansive, and it and and things fall into place a little cleaner. Yes, I agree. It's actually, it's both. It's, it's both, and we should shake hands somewhere. And every morning I wake up and I think, I'm still here. How is this possible? I should have been now in the other world, shaking hands. But somehow I'm not doing it correctly yet. But I'm pretty sure that's what we are supposed to have to to this understanding of not an altered state, but an expanded state of consciousness. Yes. So nothing. And that's sometimes we step into it and then we move back into our channel normal, fairly uh, limited state of consciousness and... I have not found really the permanent doorway yet. I see doorways, I go through them, but then I'm thrown back again in this 3D reality we all agree on, and I'm still actually f- trying to find the permanent doorway. If you have found it, just tell me where it is. Well, I have not found it, and, and I feel like I'm just, you know, I, yeah, the same thing. You know, I walk around and I have to, you know, uh, 
you know, wash the dishes and, and do these very mundane things. And then, and then every once in a while, this, 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 you know, the term I use is magic. This little magic thing happens. And what I have learned to do is just follow it, just grab onto it, no matter what, follow it. And then, uh, uh, where it were, if I turn the clock back a few years, that those magical events were very intimidating to me and I was mm. freaked out and I wasn't at peace with them. And I, they shook me up and I would, um, mm. you know, so, but now I feel like, Ooh, okay, here's a clue. I got to follow it. Um, Hey, so you, uh, you know, you're doing this research, this focused on crop circles and now, uh, ancient sites and things like that. So in doing that, you're obviously showing up at conferences and speaking and stuff like that. I mean, I think of the conference where I saw you speak, um, you know, Whitley Strieber was there. And so you are interacting with this, this, uh, you know, UFO research community. Yes. Yes. In a way I do. Now, before I ever got interested in crop circles in 1975, Somebody gave me a book about UFOs already in 1975, and it really intrigued me. So my start, really my starting point in looking into this the edge of reality was actually the world of the realm of UFOs. And when I came to crop circles, I expected to find really nuts and bolts UFOs everywhere. And after 20 years, I've come to the conclusion that I have heard perhaps two or three stories. I've seen myself one time something that could have been a traditional UFO, but somehow they're not there. What happens there is all these balls of light, um, strange creatures being seen, black walkers, 2D uh, uh, shaped people that have been witnessed. So in a way, I am in the UFO community, and on the other hand, I'm actually not. It's like... What the UFO community is talking about, especially the really uh, 3D, really solid UFOs, they are not there in crop circle land. They're very, very few times witnessed there. So that's why I call it now the other world. I stepped away a little bit from the nuts and bolts UFOs and went much more into um, this this other realm, especially after reading the books of, perhaps you know him, um, Dr. Rick Strassman. Yes, I'm, in fact, I'm reading that book right now, The DMT uh, Molecule. Yes. The, yes. The, the, um... 20% of his um, volunteers had experiences that are identical to UFO abductions. They would come back after this DMT rush, still in the hospital bed, really in panic and um, saying things like, I, I don't want this ever again, and then describing how they were um, – uh, abducted by gray aliens and how they all this research was done, needles in their eyes, needles in their ears. And so Strassman came to the conclusion, can it be that it's not from out there, but it's from in here. It's he- They're here. It's an otherworldly aspect to our reality, but it's not from far away. It's much closer. And that really fascinates me. And I think actually for myself that there's a lot to that. That's why you have a million abductees in the world. That's always the big question they ask. How can it be a million people abducted? By now, these aliens should know. No, it's not that they are from far away and trying to find out something. It's an interaction that happens here on Earth. It's not even extraterrestrials, terrestrial aliens. And, and the, the, the problem is, is that there's manifestations that show up. There's literally burn marks in the yard. You know, the, 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 yeah. uh, the next door neighbor 
um, you know, their UFO research will go talk to the next door neighbor when the person in, you know, the house next door to them says they were abducted at midnight. And the, you ask the next door neighbor and said, anything happened at midnight? And it's like, yeah, the, the electricity went out. The TV went on the fritz and right at midnight. And we saw this bright light next door. So there's, there are physical manifestations that accompany this psychic yes. thing. So, yes. so it's once again, where these, where it's like, uh, you know, and I find that, that the, the Rick Strassman thing is a fascinating clue in there. So, you know, it is a, you know, both and event for me, like, you know, that is both physical and happening at a consciousness level in a way that I, I, I am in no position to unravel or to answer. All I can do is, is, uh, is, uh, seek out the stories and the stories often play out the same kind of stories that like, a you know, I'm going to say it like a shaman would share around a campfire. You know, that is yes. the stories we're hearing. Yes, and I, I, I agree. It can be incredible physical. There's, there's this one boy in Holland. Um, perhaps you should actually look into him as well. Oh, I know just who you're going to talk about. Keep going. It's Robert von den Broeke. Yep. And um, I've met him many times. Uh, the first time was in 1997, I think. So it was pretty lucky because Holland is such a small country. And so I got involved in him when he was, I think he was 17 years old then, 1997. And this is really such a fascinating case. There's an American woman, Nancy Talbot. She's doing actually the bulk of the research on him. She just published a new article about an event that happened, I think, two or three years ago, um, where physical things manifested, butterflies manifested out of nothing, this white powder. And there were tropical butterflies that um, do not exist in Holland. And they just came out of nothingness. And it's that kind of stuff that I think, well, we have no clue yet. We have no idea how it works. We're just scratching something, the surface of something that's so big and so fascinating that actually I cannot wait to see the next layer. And my sense is that the, that the, the phenomena itself evolves, right? So we're... Oh, that's an interesting one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, so it just like... Um, uh, you know, we're seeking it. And as we reach forward to seek it, it, it will evolve to, to just to, to add a deeper level of complexity each time we feel like we've grasped onto something. You know, as soon yeah. as the nuts and bolts researcher says, hmm, okay, I've got this consistent pattern, all UFOs leave these burn marks in yards, then some other thing will emerge. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, that I don't have any, that's more like a, like a, a sense I have rather than something I can formalize no, that, through data. Sense. I have noticed that in crop circles that, of course, you try to figure out what's going on here, and then you find, try to find patterns, as, especially with my mathematical background. I, I did it a lot. And there comes a moment you think, yes, they have it. This, this is the pattern. I remember Michael Clickman, this, this professor from England, he told me from birth, I found this really interesting pattern. And said, what is it? He said, you see, we have all these crop circles, like these thought bubble shapes, that's in a whole array of circles from small to bigger. The biggest one in size is always at the highest position on the slope. I said, what? And he showed me all these examples. And they were all right. And right at that moment, there was a Julia set at Stonehenge, very famous crop circle, 1996. And he said, let's go there because that's a whole array of circles, bigger, smaller, and Let's see where the biggest one is. Sure enough, that one also had the biggest one at the highest spot of the slope. So he said, that's it. That's the first time we find something that's 100% consistent. Sure enough, the very, very first thought bubble crop circle after that 
did not have it. It just changed direction. And the moment you know, you think you know what it is, it just changes. It's fascinating. I've given up now to find these patterns because I know once I find it, it will just change again. <laughs> well, it's playing with us. It is playing with us. It is interacting. It is, it, is, it, is, it is a verb. You know, it is not a noun. You know, crop circles are not a noun. They are a verb because they are, they are changing. They're changing. Yeah. So um, I'm now just there and absorb it. I still do some kind of, of mathematical research in them. I, I see a consistency in the square and the circle aspect that I find in crop circles and in cathedrals and in ancient sites. So I do still try to find this one thread. But I know actually that in the end, when I'm just thinking now, I've clenched it all, it will just change again. Here, let me let me share one short little thing here, and then I'll let you go. And I'll just so yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to play yes. my therapist, and I'm going to lay on the couch here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so that crop circle I told you about that occurred near my home that took place on August 10th, 2002. Now I'm writing this book on owls and the UFO abductee, and it's the working title has changed as I immersed myself in this. It's now called Owl's Synchronicity in the UFO Abductee because, you know, I just found that it was, I the box was too tiny and it, stuff was like, you know, going all over the place. So, um, so one of the things I did is like, hey, let's just look up crop circles owls. And there's this beautiful crop circle with a very clear owl face. Yes. And it was from a Woodboro Hill and that took place, that formed on August 10th, 2009. Now, 2009 yes. was the year I was seeing all kinds of owls. Um, so two events, August 10th, one near my house that I felt like I had a premonition of, August mm-hmm. 10th, 2009. Now, of this year, I'm at my house. I'm uh, sitting here, uh, well, actually my neighbor's house, which is right next door. I'm on the porch and we're talking, the sun is setting. Very lovely. August 9th at about 9 p.m., uh, the guy that I'm talking to looks over my shoulder and goes, look, an owl. And sure enough, an owl lands on a tree branch. Excuse me, mm-hmm. right at the very tippy top of a pine tree, right at the very crest, right at like the angel on a Christmas tree. And it stands there for oh, a couple of minutes and we walk, you know, we walk up to it and we look at it and it's a great horned owl. And we're like, wow, that is really cool to see an owl this close. And it flies away. Now I am in such a funny headspace. I was trying to, uh, you know, back engineer what the mystical meaning might be. I was like, what conversation mm-hmm. were we having at the moment? I couldn't think of anything. We're talking about total normal stuff. So uh, several days later, I I get I talked to a friend of mine, and she was on a crop circle tour with someone you obviously know, Barbara Lamb. Yeah. So on that crop circle, they had meditated. The whole group had meditated, and they decided they want to see a crop circle that was uh, related to peace. Mm-hmm. So uh, they do that at the night. That was, and then the next morning, this crop circle appears. And it was later that someone, and I, and I don't have it right in front of me, but someone did some uh, like diagrams of the crop circle. And it was a series of, of sort of uh, arrow-shaped things that all pointed toward a center uh, thing on a true mm-hmm. circle. But, and then they had other little circles interspersed there. But when you did a little diagram and connected all the lines that seemed to be appearing, it created six, I think six little peace signs. But you mm-hmm. wouldn't have seen that until you did the diagram. Now, she also, the night before they had meditated, she woke up at four in the morning. Mm-hmm. She kind of laid there in bed. She got up for a second. She went back to bed and she said, you know, I would like to see a crop circle being made. It was still nighttime. She, then she sort of drifted off into this, 
kind of mystical. She felt like her things were spiraling. It sounded like an outer body experience was taking place. Very mystical. Didn't sound like nuts and bolts, flying saucer stuff. She had a sense of seeing a crop circle being formed. Uh, She's since gone back and done hypnotic regression. Also in that hypnotic regression, there is this blurry sort of otherworldly quality to it as opposed to a profound, tangible physical event. Um, and there's, a, there's other things that are related to this. To tell the story would take a long time. So four in the morning when she says, I want to see a crop circle being made, and then she gets transported into this outer body experience. If you look, that was four o'clock in the morning on the morning of August 10th. And this one is called the Shoot Causeway uh, uh, mm. Circle. From this uh, year. Pardon? From this year, from 2013, Shoot yep. Causeway. Yep. And when you look at the diagram, these little peace signs show up and they meditated yep. for peace. The... So that if you look at GMT, which is Southern England, and my time, mountain time, uh, you know, Western United States, nine o'clock at night is four in the morning. So I was seeing an owl at the at the exact same time with this very close friend of mine. We've been having a lot of very powerful conversations, uh, very tight, close connection between her and I. I see an owl at the mm-hmm. exact moment that she may have been her conscious might have been spiraling out of her physical body. Oh, it's, 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 it's really fascinating because um, I'm not going to tell the story now, perhaps another time, but the owl crop circle, I, I, of course, I was there in Wiltshire when it happened. Um, but a year later, a ghost of this owl appeared in the field. That means uh, kind of... Uh, the, the, the new crop in the new in the field does not want to grow where the old crop circle has been, and we call that a ghost. And is that, oh, um, is that common? Does that happen with all crop circles? No, it does not happen. It's it's actually pretty rare that it happened, but with that specific crop circle, it did happen. And um, I'm, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I was there with the Dutch television crew, and we went to a really, which we could call a ghost hunting experience because of that owl crop circle. I've totally forgotten about it. But now you mentioned that crop circle again, it comes all back to me again, that we had a really strange coast experience in the bed and breakfast we are staying in together. So me, Heather was there as well, actually, and the film crew, and it was all based on this owl crop circle. (laughs) Now you're curious, but I'm not going to tell you the whole story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm looking at the clock here. I just realized that I've kept you on the line here for almost two hours here. It's just a little bit yeah, shy exactly. of two hours. Yeah, exactly. Yes. We have to move on now. Okay, Ness, I thank you so much. You, you you put up with a lot of my stories. I was delighted to, to, to actually have this and sort of formalize that event that happened in May of 2011. I thought that was absolutely profoundly powerful when I read it initially, and then it was great to just get to hear both of you share it verbally. You're welcome. And it was nice actually to share it because – um, by sharing these things, um, um, I don't know, it's it's not that you get a confirmation, but it does feel like um, there's a really very slight layer of doubt that you have about yourself when you go through these things. You have that as, have had this as well. Oh, sometimes it's more than slight, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's getting less and less, but so by sharing it and just sharing and hearing other people's story, um, it, it's really not therapeutical, but it helps actually to to give it a place, to put it in, in on the right shelf. So thank you actually for listening. 
because that's very important that people listen to the stories as well. And that's also in in my plan for this is to put it in a very public forum. It's going to be on the internet and I want people to to tap into this. I want my site to be a resource for these, you know, these outlying experiences that, as you say, are outside the boundaries of channel normal, because I think that what you and I have experienced, you know, to greater and lesser degrees, however you want to look at it, this is an important part of the human experience. And it is something that is being either rejected or ignored uh, by the, the, the greater populace. And I think that's a crime. Yeah, but it's it's scary. It is scary, but every lots of stuff is scary, and we managed to proceed yeah. forward and go th- and do it. You know, so yeah, but it takes time, but it's scary. So many people don't code it. So no, just yeah. I, I have my safe life, and I want to keep it that way. That's it. So so hopefully the folks that that are ready for this will migrate to this interview, and we'll get something out of it. Good. Let's hope for that. Thank you so okay. much. I'm, I'm entirely grateful that you that both you and Heather uh, said yes to this. Okay, you're welcome, and thank you. Bye now. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Hi, this is Mike. I am chiming in during the editing process. Um, hey, I really enjoyed that talk. It was interesting to do a, uh, which I very rarely do, an interview with more than one person on the other end. Uh, I figured out a few of the technical difficulties and it made it run a little smoother. Uh, you know, I've, I've met uh, Bert very briefly. He's got This guy's got a ton of charm. Uh, he's, he's a, he's a really radiant dude when you meet him in real life. Uh, and then, um, uh, when I initially contacted, uh, I, I guess I made the initial contact with Heather about her white owl story saying I was doing owl research. Um, we did a, uh, conversation on the phone and I think it must be good grief. I think it's about two hours. It was just a uh, you know, a, a hello, how are you kind of thing. And then we both just got, uh, you know, one thing led to another and all of a sudden two hours was gone. So, uh, I'm impressed with both of them. And, uh, it was a delight to talk to them that time. A couple things I just want to point out. Um, we talk about a researcher from the UK. Her name is uh, Maria Wheatley and I called her Mariah Wheatley. So I apologize that I, I, during the editing process, I realized I messed up and, you know, they were, obviously pronouncing her name correctly. I was pronouncing her name incorrectly. Um, so I apologize uh, to Maria for that. Uh, now, there was another point. I, I bring up a, uh, I say, oh, there's this researcher and he does research into synchronicity. And then I told about how, you know, he uh, reviews the diaries of the patients he'd been working with. And this man is uh, Gibbs Williams and he wrote a book on synchronicity a few years ago. I did an interview with him, one of the very first interviews I did on this site. And I just listened to that interview recently. It's great. Uh, it's it's kind of got not the best audio quality to it, but the content is amazing. That was a great interview. I really need to follow up on him and, and do, a, do one more interview. Um, we talk about Rick Strassman, who uh, is the author of a book, DMT, The Spirit Molecule. And I think I called it DMT, the God molecule in in the text there. So yes, Rick Strassman, we talk about him. I wanted to correctly give the name of his book, DMT, the Spirit Molecule. And uh, we also share a story that was um, from a friend of mine. And this is the one where I see an owl at the tip of a tree at nine o'clock at night. Uh, and, then it, and then it feels like that event it just lines up so precisely to when she had this very powerful mystical experience. Um, my, myself, 
and this woman, I'm not going to use her name on the, on the program here, and, uh, and then there's one other person involved, have a very intense set of experiences that are all clouded together. And, um, and I'm going to post eventually a long format document about, um, about that case, because it's very interesting. It has, in a curious way, the same tone as the um, white owl experience that we um, talk about at great length in the in the interview you just listened to, in the sense that it has, um, it has that same odd super connectivity, you know, the spider's web with lots of threads going every conceivable direction. And to me, as I say in the interview, and I'm going to repeat myself now, that kind of experience has a, has a, I recognize there's a power within that experience. There's something resonating there that I think that needs to be recognized. And, and because of that, I take those stories more seriously than I would if, if those experiences weren't so, uh, I almost want to say convoluted. If you want to write a report on one of those things, it ain't easy because everything's all mixed up. Let me put it that way. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.